Today's scripture reading is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through the first half of 19. It is found on page 516 if you're using one of the church Bibles. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, it is good to see you, good to be here. We do miss all of our online friends. If you are on the Facebook Live, please I don't know, hit like or just say hello. We'd love to uh, know you connected that way. Uh, but today we're talking about the Damascus Road journey uh, with Saul. Now, many of us know him, uh, kind of identified as Paul by, the, uh, uh, by that form of his name. But uh, right now we're kind of still in that, that segment of the story in Acts where he's called Saul. And I want us to think in our own lives about someone uh, who we think, we just kind of have that, inclination about, like, that person in my life, they would never become a Christian. <laughs> they would never come to Jesus. Like, I've known them long enough that I know, and I've, and I've shared Jesus with them, or I've prayed for them, and it's just been years and years, and they just aren't going to come. Whether it's a coworker, a friend, uh, probably a family member, maybe a couple family members, uh, and there could be a variety of reasons for this. Maybe you've heard why. Maybe it's, uh, maybe they're atheists, don't believe in God, or kind of believe in a God, but not in like religion, uh, or maybe they identify with another religion, like uh, um, they're, they're Muslim or, or Jewish or, uh, or uh, Buddhist, some other uh, religion. And you think, man, these people, this person, this person that I care about won't come to Christ. And it's easy to get kind of uh, defeated, right? It's easy to kind of accept that as the reality for them. And I think many people probably thought that about this man named Nabil. 
I think Nabil actually fit this description pretty well, that he would never come to faith in Jesus Christ. His parents were from Pakistan, uh, and they were devout Muslim believers. They, they moved to the U.S., and Nabil grew up in a devout Muslim home. Uh, so not like nominal uh, religious belief where you kind of say, oh, yes, I identify with that group of people. No, you're like, uh, he was, he was uh, uh, saying the five daily prayers. Uh, he memorized, I guess, the entire Koran in Arabic by the age of five. That's really impressive. Uh, so he clearly knew what he believed, uh, and he practiced it rigorously. Uh, and there was some um, animosity between his family and your, kind of your, your typical, well, not maybe your typical American uh, Christian, but like kind of uh, American Christianity, the Christianity that they saw in our culture, uh, because they blamed kind of the, the nominal Christians for the moral compromises that they were seeing. As Muslims, they uh, held to some uh, kind of strict uh, purity rules, some, some guidelines from the Quran. Uh, and they just saw moral compromise in the culture. And so when they would interact with Christians, they would also find, especially when Nabil would interact with Christians, he would find that most Christians didn't know really what they believed or why they believed it. They just kind of identified as Christians. Uh, they didn't have a deep faith. Uh, and so he believed that Islam was right and that he was on the right path. Nabil was the kind of person that if you were friends with him, you'd be like, yeah, guys, never going to come to Christ. I think he's a little bit like Saul. Saul was a devout Jew who, who practiced his religious beliefs rigorously, and he was never going to come to Christ. I'm going to take a moment, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we, we're going to take a moment and just lift up those people in our lives, those people that we're thinking of right now in our hearts and our minds, those people that we we think they would never come to Jesus, Lord. Would you soften their hearts to the gospel? Would you soften their hearts to Jesus? And would they come? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to look at Saul for a little bit because Saul uh, was what I like to call the least likely of disciples. Saul was the least likely of disciples. See, Saul identified himself as being zealous. And so I think he's actually identifying as kind of a member of the zealots. Now, to understand what it means to be zealous or to kind of be a member of the zealots, uh, we need to understand Judaism at that time. Now, I've been reading this biography of Paul, Paul, a biography by N.T. Wright. It's a great book. I highly recommend it if you want to dive into who Paul is a little bit deeper. Uh, but I learned a little bit about kind of Paul's background and where he came from. Now, you know from the New Testament that he identifies Gamaliel as his teacher, now, Gamaliel uh, was a man who was a part of a school, a school of Judaism called Hillel. And Hillel was generally known for allowing disagreement, for saying, like, let's talk it out, but, like, I respect you, you respect me. Uh, we allow for differences of opinion. And we actually see that in the New Testament uh, when, uh, in, in Acts chapter 5, when Peter and John are on trial for preaching the gospel, uh, they, they're on trial by the Sanhedrin, and what does uh, Gamaliel do? He gets up and says, you know what? If their religion is of themselves, they will fail like all the other rebellions. But if it's of God, then, then if we oppose them, we're actually opposing God, so we don't want to do that. So let's just, let's just see how this plays out. All right, so that's, that's more of the school of Hillel, like kind of this live and let live policy when it comes to religious disagreement. 
Uh, and so that's, that's like the first school. Now, even though Paul's teacher was Gamaliel, he actually lived differently than him. See, I think Paul actually identified with the school of Shammai. So Shammai was more of a fiery school of Judaism, where like they believed in prayer, but like prayer with a sword strapped on your side, like ready to act, ready to do things for the Lord, ready to, uh, to um, zealously protect the, the, the Jewish faith. Uh, even uh, using violence. I think they had a, a kind of this Old Testament hero. Uh, uh, N.T. Wright says they really identified with this Old Testament hero named Phineas. Uh, Phineas. Maybe you know him in the Old Testament. Uh, the Israelites had come out of Egypt, uh, and they're near Moab, the Moabites, and the Moabites practiced kind of foreign pagan religion, right? They, they worshiped Baal, and uh, they were going to entice the Jewish people to enter into Baal worship with that, them. And how they did that was by sending their women among the Israelites to uh, seduce them and to, to kind of bring them into Baal worship. And it began to work. And God was angry, rightly so. Like, this is my people uh, that uh, are, are being kind of enticed off into idolatry. And so God said that, uh, that those that practice this act are to be put to death. And we find this in Numbers chapter 25. We find the story of uh, Phineas. Then an Israelite man uh, brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. It's a pretty intense story. Like, you don't want to mess with Phineas. Uh, like, I don't know. Uh, it would be great to have him around. I mean, I don't know if it would be great to have him as part of our church. He'd be kind of nervous. Like, what's he going to do if you disagree with him? You don't want to have him around. Uh, but if we actually just look at the Old Testament and how, how God kind of thought about him, uh, God said, this is a man who was really honoring me with what he do, did. In fact, the Psalms actually say that God credited this act uh, of killing this, this idolatrous man and this Moabite woman uh, with righteousness. Psalms 106, verses 30 through 31 say this, but Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. And so there's this example of this man who, who does this like act of brutal violence in order to protect the assembly, to protect the people of God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. Phineas is like Paul's spirit animal. <laughs> That's kind of a silly way of putting it. But it's, he's like his, his hero. It's like, this is who I want to be like. This is, this is who I'm going to model my life after. I am zealous for God's law. I'm going to be zealous like Phineas. See, there's Christians out there, and, and they're... they're they're teaching that a man is God and that a man rose from the grave and that we're somehow supposed to eat his body and drink his blood and, and that we don't have to obey the Old Testament law in order to be saved. I'm going to hunt them down. They're just like those Moabites who are trying to infiltrate and seduce us. I'm going to get rid of them. And so you can think like Saul's like excited, like, I'm going to be credited, this is going to be credited as righteousness to me. This is my Phineas moment. 
I am protecting Israel. And this is what happens. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, if you read down from your Bibles, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letter to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, it's an early name for Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, where they would be tried and executed. So as Saul is going to Damascus to capture more believers, you can see that he would be identifying with Phineas. Or even like Elijah. Remember Elijah put uh, the prophets of Baal to death. It's a Phineas-like character. Do you know anyone who is zealously anti-Christian? <laughs> They're just convinced that Christianity is what's wrong for, for them, what's wrong for our culture, what's wrong for you. You're like, man, I, I see that person and that person just seems like they have a hard heart. They're not, they're not even really open for the discussion. And on occasion, maybe, like, you see some sort of glimmer of hope where they'll, like, entertain some discussion of God or they'll come to church. But at the end of the day, you're like, man, that was great, but Lord, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't seem like we're making any progress. Well, I think there's hope. This sounds like a bunch of people in my life, honestly. Maybe a bunch of people in your life. I think there's hope for them. I don't think the Lord wants us to give up on them. I think the Lord calls us to keep praying for them, to keep hoping for them, to keep dreaming for them. See, I think Jesus loves to save the least likely of disciples. See, as, 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 as Saul is riding to Damascus, uh, getting ready to round up these believers. He has an, uh, uh, an in-world, out-of-the-world experience. <laughs> There's this light that surrounds him that is brighter than the sun. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 3 and 4 say this. As he neared Damascus on his journey. So he can like see the, the, the village in the distance, the town. He's ready. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul... Saul, why do you persecute me? That's not something that you would want to hear, is it? And instantly he would have known, this is the Lord. See, he knew the scriptures. He knew about that great like, vision that the prophet Ezekiel has of like, the, throne, uh, of, of the, of the throne of the chariots and like, this vision of heaven with the cherubim and seraphim and, 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 and God's presence. He would have known of, of Isaiah chapter 6, the throne room vision. He would have known of like the vision that Daniel had in Daniel 7 of the Ancient of Days. He would have known whose presence he was standing before. Here at last, maybe he would have thought, God is going to reward me for my righteousness. I am the next Phineas. Then falling to the ground, he hears what he least expects. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine what that would be like, how your entire worldview would shift in an instant? Like, he went from thinking he was on top of the world, doing God's will, to being under the world. Like, completely flipped upside down. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Wow. His... his his world's getting flipped upside down. This means that Stephen was innocent who he just helped put to death. 
This means that his, his, uh, his zealous persecution of the Christian believers is wrong, that the Christians are actually correct, that they are right. This means that Jesus, who was put to death on the cross for being like a rebel and a heretic, was actually the Messiah, God's special king. And this does mean that, Paul, uh, that Saul was right about some things, he was right that Yahweh is the one true God. The God of the Old Testament is the true God. He was just wrong about how he was interpreting much of the Old Testament, much of the Hebrew scriptures. That Jesus is the Son of Man, God in the flesh. Maybe you wonder, like, why would, why would God choose someone like Saul? Why would, why would Jesus reveal himself to someone like Saul? Well, Saul actually writes later, uh, Paul writes, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, to save people like your friend, or to save people like your family member or your coworker. That's why Jesus came. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Maybe the reason the person that you know and that are, you're praying for and that you care about has not come to faith in Christ is so that God can simply show them his patience. You're like, man, Lord, would you be less patient when they, when they come to faith in Christ soon? I mean, I think that's a kind of encouraging. And so we get to have patience too. We're, we're learning to be patient, to, to trust in the Lord, to, to, to say like, if, if God can save someone like me, he can save someone like them. Jesus loves to save sinners, <laughs> the worst of sinners. When Nabil uh, got to college, he finally met a, a Christian who wasn't nominal, who understood what they believed and why they believed it. He finally met someone who could answer his questions, have a, uh, a thoughtful discussion with him, who could kind of reason with him through some of his arguments, and who was also like genuinely following Jesus a genuine disciple of Jesus and took Christ seriously. This man's name was David. And David didn't just like preach the gospel and walk away. David formed a friendship with Nabil and cared about him. Not all their conversation was, was shaped around religion or faith. They just simply got to know each other and spent time with him and loved him. But David was also willingly uh, willing to kind of have that extended conversation with Nabil about Christ, about Christianity, and to walk through life with him. And explain that following Jesus isn't just a quick prayer. It's actually picking up your cross and following Christ. It's laying down your life for Jesus. It starts with prayer, repentance, but that never stops. Now, Nabil argued he, he tried to disprove the deity of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Three things that uh, those that believe in Islam do not believe. The Muslims deny those things. 
And he actually began to find the evidence for these things to be compelling. Now, this took years. This was not a quick process. This was not like a weekend retreat. This was a long time. But finally, he actually began to take the the same criteria he was applying to Christianity and saying, you have to measure up to this criteria in order to be true. He began to apply it to his own faith, his own religion, to Islam. And he found that Christianity was actually much stronger in the end. Islam was much weaker when the same tests were applied. And so he prayed a prayer. He prayed that Jesus would reveal himself to him in a dream or a vision. Now, this is very common, apparently, among Muslims that come to faith in Christ. He says that 50 to 70% of Muslims that come to Jesus come because they met Jesus in a dream or a vision. Jesus gave them something. And one night, Nabil had a dream. He was standing outside a very narrow doorway. It was just tall enough and just wide enough for him to fit through. And on the other side of the doorway, there there was this really nice feast. Everyone was seated having this feast, and they were were kind of waiting for the host to show up, waiting for the, the master to arrive. And Nabil recognized in his dream that this was a vision of heaven. And through that doorway, he saw David. And and, and David was kind of facing, looking for the host. Uh, And and he saw his friend David, and he tried to get in, but he he actually couldn't get in through the doorway. For whatever reason, he was not able to get in. And he said to his friend, David, I thought we were going to eat together. And David said, you haven't responded. And that's when he knew he needed to respond and he woke up and he told this, friend to, this dream to his friend David. And David's like, well, that's crazy because if you turn to Luke 13, you find this passage. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. And even then, Nabil had this dream saw this scripture, and he didn't instantly become a Christian. Because he still needed to count the cost, because he knew that if he became a Christian, it would bring shame on his family. That would, that would be a very painful thing for the, the family system. And yet, this was enough. He finally took that step of faith and came to Jesus. And Jesus loves to save the least likely of disciples. Jesus loves to save the Sauls of this world, the Nabils of this world, the the, whoever you are thinking, the the Chris's or the the Tom's or the Peter's or, or, or your friend. And maybe it's time not to give up on them, but to try again or to renew that life of prayer, to pray every day for them. Maybe it's time to begin to reestablish that relationship with them or to to take that conversation and say, you know what, I really would like to share this part of my life with you. Can I share my testimony with you? Maybe it's time. Jesus loves to save the least likely of disciples through us. He loves to let us tag along for the journey, tag along for the trip. See, Jesus Tell Saul to get up, go to Damascus. And so Saul does, but he's blind. He's led into Damascus. He spends some time, three days there, thinking and praying and repenting 
in re-examining his life. Now, Jesus has done all the hard work. (laughs) Jesus has done the heavy lifting. Jesus has prepared his heart. But still, God invites another to join in the journey, to join in the process. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to a vi- in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Now, God could have showed up and, and just told Saul everything he needed to know. Why did God send Ananias to be a part of that moment? Because he wanted Ananias to experience God's grace too. Like, Saul's like kind of the star of this part of the story. Really, Jesus is the star. And then Ananias is someone that many of us could probably identify with, wanting to be like that, where, where Jesus kind of leads us to, to, to be in relationship with others and lead them to faith in Christ. God could have done it by himself, all of it. But instead, God, God, Jesus wants to connect Saul into the church, into a Christian family, so that he can be discipled and grow. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. God is including Ananias. Isn't that nice? And Ananias doesn't see it that way. He's like, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. This guy is going to kill us. Didn't you get the memo? Uh, And God's like, yeah, I did. Have we ever done that? Have I ever done that? Where God's like, hey, I want you to share Christ with this person. I want you to share me with that person. You're like, eh, (laughs) No, thank you. They might do something terrible to me. Like, unfriend me on Facebook. (laughs) Let's not wait any longer. Verses 15 through 19 say this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. See, God has this huge plan for Saul. He's going to be my chosen instrument to share the gospel with the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And we're going to see that like, uh, through the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to see it's going to come back around to Paul. We're just going to follow his journey, Saul's, Paul's journey. We're going to follow, I think Saul is the Hebrew form of his name, and just Paul is just the Greek form. Uh, there's no like, as far as I know, there's no like renaming of Saul to Paul to kind of mark this moment. It's just a different form of his name. But God's going to use Saul. He's going to work through Saul to bring others to faith in Christ. So let's, let's back up and think about our own people. God might be like putting that person on your heart So that one day they come to faith in Christ, and then they lead others to faith in Christ. This isn't just about you. This isn't just about them. This is about the people that they might touch. This is a lot of people. And you never know. That that person might have a special ministry to those around them. Uh, Some people that you would never be able to reach. God can do something amazing. God can truly multiply 
Nabil came to faith in Christ. You can probably guess which ministry he began to be a part of. He joined uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, uh, kind of the apologetics ministry, like reasons to believe in God. And I think he had a special mem- uh, ministry to kind of those in Islam because he wrote this book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. So he told lots of other people about faith in Christ. Verse 16 says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The quickest way to get people to sign up for Christianity is just to say, like, it's great. <laughs> it's all, all like, all-included uh, resort package. Just, just sign up for Jesus and, like, your life will be easy. But in some ways, Christianity is easier because we're forgiven. But it's also harder because Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And that's what Saul had to do, and that's what we're each called to do as followers of Jesus. Whatever context Jesus calls us to, maybe part of that is talking with those around you about Jesus. Nabil had to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. In 2006, he was, uh, 2016, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and he actually died in 2017, 34 years old. Uh, but even at the end, there's a video of him on his hospital bed on YouTube. Uh, he was praying for healing, but he was also saying, like, God, you're good, even if I don't come, if, even if I'm not healed. Jesus, you're good. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just like his physical eyes that were open. It was his spiritual eyes. And that's what we're praying for our friends. Lord, would you open their eyes? Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. God's Holy Spirit came in a special way, and like, I don't know exactly why it was that Ananias kind of had to bring like the special anointing of the Holy Spirit, but I think there's some connection in that Saul, like being a Christian is part of, is part of being a, part of being a Christian is, is being in a church and being a part of a faith community. And, and, and Ananias comes and like formally recognizes that Saul is our brother. He is a believer. He has seen the risen Lord. Jesus loves to save the least likely of disciples through us, through you and me. So who might you, uh, who might the Lord be putting on your heart? Who might God have on your heart to say, you know what, maybe it's time to have another conversation or, or to begin to pray again for them? You know, this time uh, is an interesting time in the life of of Cornerstone Congregational Church and, and in your life. And this, it, we don't know how long COVID-19 is, is going to last. Like, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to be around, and we can't put, like, the mission of the church on pause. We can't put God on pause. We can't put the Holy Spirit on pause, because God's still going to be working. He's going to work in different ways. Maybe, maybe, you know, and, and instead of us being able to do like these gathered corporate outreach events, God is saying, you know what, 
I want my church individually to go out to their front lines, to their places where they're around other people that know, uh, that don't know me, but know them so that they can hear about Jesus. Maybe this is just the Lord's way of, of giving us a vision to go, to share. I want to be a part of whatever the Lord's doing. There's people in my life I need to renew my prayer life for. I need to begin to think about those conversations that I can have with them, and I hope that you'll do the same thing. Jesus loves to save the least likely of disciples through us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Saul's story. Thank you for Ananias' story. Thank you for Jesus' story. Lord, we lift up our friends, our coworkers, neighbors, people we know who we already have a relationship with that don't yet know you. Would we, would we enter into their lives and walk with them to help them truly understand the cost of following Jesus, but then the reward as well? Lord, would we see people come to faith in Christ? Would you work through us to save people? I, we're not salesmen, Lord, or saleswomen. We're, we're, we're not going to be able to convince anyone apart from a work of your Holy Spirit. So would you go before us, softening hearts, and then would you push us forward to help us have those conversations? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.